This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you for our 77th consecutive program today, and we are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, the purpose of our show, in addition to answering all your questions, is it's really become, over these 77 shows, really a, a search together. It's We're moving together to try and get good information so that we can do what's best for ourselves, our families, and our community. And we're going to continue with that because there's always new information each week for us to look at and scrutinize and really look at the best path. So far, it, it's pretty clear that the best way for us to protect ourselves, our children, families, and community is through a vaccine, which we didn't have in the early stages of this pandemic. We have vaccines that are now safe, effective, available, and free of charge. And that's the way we're going to work our way out. And it's a recurring theme in everything we do as we move through the pandemic. Um, so we'll be talking a little bit more about that and what we've learned from other countries. And, and a lot of what we're doing, right, is trying to prepare for either the next wave or the next pandemic or how we're going to be ready. So we're going to talk a little bit about the plan that was proposed by Governor Gavin Newsom in California. Um, we're going to talk a briefly about the BA2 Omicron subvariant. And I want to get to a question. Actually, David had a question uh, at the end of the show last week that I wanted to get to. And the question was, now that we are lightening restrictions on masks, when is it appropriate to wear a mask? And a lot of us are thinking about that. And the, and the answer is, when you feel it is appropriate. So it doesn't mean that you just abandon the mask. There are going to be situations where you're going to be more comfortable and safer if you wear a mask. Basically, when you're in an enclosed area and you're with people whose vaccine status you don't know or health status you don't know, and you want to protect yourself. So, obviously, on airplanes, uh, in crowded stores, I personally wear the, the, the mask whenever I'm inside. When I'm in a store or around people uh, that I don't know. And, and it's important to think about that. Now, one of the questions that always comes up is we have discussed vaccine, the masks as a barrier to not spreading the virus. But are you protected by wearing a mask? And 
we have found that that is the case by wearing an N95 or a KN95, uh, KN95 mask, or as we call them, respirators, because they're a two-way blockade, you can protect yourself as well. So the real answer is, again, it's a personal choice as to when to wear the mask. And uh, I suggest, I think we're going to be doing a lot more of it from here on out, especially when seasonally we see a rise in respiratory-borne viruses. The statistics we're dealing with now, in the United States now, we have over 928,000 deaths. In Connecticut, our positivity is still hovering between 4 and 5% each day. So we haven't seen any precipitous drop in that positivity rate. In Connecticut, we have 77% of our population fully vaccinated, and that being defined as having had two uh, vaccine shots. But I think what's telling here is that, and, and it's somewhat bothersome, is we're starting to lighten up on uh, when to wear masks and no masks in schools, and yet we're still experiencing, experiencing between 2,000 and 2,500 deaths per day in this country. That's a lot of dead Americans. And if we continue at that rate, COVID will be the leading cause of death in the United States. But everybody wants to get back, and we all want to get back to some other level of normalcy. But it's important to realize that that's, uh, that's a lot of death, and we're, so we're still not where we need to be. It's thought that we want to try to get down to seven deaths per 100,000 lives. And we're now at 35 deaths per 100,000 lives. So um, it's, it's really important that we continue to keep our guard up despite this desire to back off. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff out there saying that we're now 73% of our population is immune to Omicron. And the question becomes, much of that is a natural immunity, which is not predictable. Right? We've found that out. Some people who contract the illness may have their immunity for three months, some six months. We don't know. So this is an unpredictable type of immunity, and it's not something that we could rely on, but important to, to keep in mind. And it may be why we're seeing the hospitalization numbers go down. Uh, as we know, Omicron has been a less severe uh, form of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. This day in medicine actually brought up two things. So February 19, 1473, Nicholas Copernicus was born. Um, he's a Polish astronomer. He studied mathematics, astronomy, and law. And last week, uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Schutzer, actually mentioned that uh, sometimes he used the term a Copernican revolution. Uh, and the reason he used that is because I guess the Copernican revolution is best termed because Nicholas Copernicus was the one who 
went forward with the thought that the sun was the center of our universe. And this was considered revolutionary at the time. So um, with that, when people use that term, um, they mean it would take a tremendous shift, as we discussed last week, a tremendous shift in how we deliver medical care in this country. Also, on February 19, 1878, Louis Pasteur argued his germ theory of infection before the French Academy of Medicine. Imagine that. So it was 1878 when he was talking about germs and the transmission of disease through germs, something that we've learned, something that we've had to really impart on ourselves and others, especially during the pandemic. And really what he was putting forth was sanitation, right? Washing your hands. The things we're doing now, right? When we're around an infection, distance yourself from the infection. Wash your hands. Okay? In this case, in a respiratory virus, you wear a mask. Still the same basics that we've been at for more than 100 years. We're going to take a short break. They're going to be back with a little bit more discussion about the mask mandates ending and uh, taking a look at that. We're going to take a look at what they're doing in California and really try to get a glimpse of our future in dealing with COVID-19. If you have questions and you want to get them over to me either live um, today on the air or during the week, you can reach me at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. TIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. In the second half of our program, we're going to have uh, my guest today is Dr. James O'Day. Uh, Jim has been a, a guest before, and uh, he's the senior vice president of the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford Healthcare. We're going to talk a little bit about vaccine hesitancy and how we end that hesitancy some strategies to working with other members of our community to really uh, educate and maybe support them in going forward to get vaccinated. Also want to talk to him a little bit uh, about compassion fatigue um, that we're starting to experience. But one of the things we've seen in the press all week is the governor ending the mask mandate in schools in February, uh, the end of this month. And I guess the question is why? Um, you know, one of our problems, as I mentioned earlier, is we're still seeing between 2,000 and 2,500 uh, deaths uh, per day here in the United States. And what we've found is that those people who qualify for boosters, only 28%, we only have 28% of people getting the booster shot. And that's really hurt us. I'm working tonight with Mixed Martial Arts, Bellator MMA. I'll be over at Mohegan Sun. So I was chatting with the folks there as last night we were doing the pre-fight physicals. And they're getting ready to go to Dublin, Ireland next week. And someone said, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. When you get to Dublin, Ireland now, there are no restrictions. So I wondered why. And I looked it up. In Ireland, 84% of the population over the age of five, is fully vaccinated, including boosters. 
And as you look at European countries who suffered through this devastation, their vaccination rate is much higher. So guess what? They're in the clear. They're in a much safer place than we are. But one of the things I kind of resent is the fact that we have made schools kind of the battleground, right? This is the battleground. Parents and schools and mass over children. It's not just schools. I mean, it's everywhere. But for some reason, politically, people have chosen schools to fight this out. You know, unmask our children. And we have, you know, 10-year-olds at microphones rallying people. It's kind of disgraceful overall, but really, when it comes to children in schools, well, we all want to keep children safe. So the idea is to get your child vaccinated, have them wear a mask when necessary, a good quality mask, and your child will be safe. As far as others, you know, we need to be concerned. We need to be concerned because they could spread the virus to children who cannot be vaccinated. And don't forget, we don't have a vaccination for children under the age of five. So I'm a little nervous about our rush to get back to normal or whatever normal is and our susceptibility. So maybe we should... Leave it up to the schools or the school district from the standpoint that, okay, listen, when we reach a vaccination rate of, I don't know, 84%, kind of like Ireland, or whatever we think is safe, or experts think is safe, when we get to that level, then the masks go away. But until we get to that vaccination rate, let's put the onus on the people who are not doing the right thing, right? So... If you want to get back to that, here's what it is. We got to get to this level. If you don't want to get to that level, make sure your kid has a mask. And I, and I think that's what we get to. It's not it's not a mandate. It's just good health practices. It's medical advice. It should be the same in any occupation. I have an administrative position. I work in an office. 100% of the people are vaccinated and boosted. So guess what? We haven't worn a mask in the office in in months. Because I know that it's a small group, so there are never really more than five or six people in the office, but we all know enough that we have our own safe bubble. And we've had no cases in those months. So again, it's telling us vaccine is the quickest way out of this mess and back to normal. Now in California... Uh, Governor Newsom, really, he put together a mnemonic and, and for what they're calling the uh, smarter approach. So S for shots, M for masks, awareness is the A, R is readiness, T for testing, education, and RX. So let's talk about it. We know we've already talked about the vaccine. We've talked about masks, good quality masks as a way for us to Read the room. Read the situation. When things get bad, right, awareness, when we start seeing those numbers go up, which they will, next fall and winter, we start implementing our readiness plan. The readiness plan 
really uh, being a way of uh, getting back to uh, distancing and using the tools we need in our healthcare system to take care of people. Testing. We're finally getting up there to testing, right? With home testing. That's, again, available. For many people, it will be free. Education is key. And we're going to talk about that with our guest, Dr. O'Day, later in the program, really to try and get out there um, and and really educate not just about COVID. Right? A lot of what we're seeing, a lot of our problems are from the fact that people are not really absorbing things or understanding it. And And what happens is when you don't understand what's going on clearly, you kind of fall within yourself and, and block everything out. So we really want to make sure our children are getting to school and we're getting ready for the future. But I think the last thing is the treatment part of it. We have good treatments. We have monoclonal antibodies, but we've had these for the flu as well. And yet they're underserved. Things like Tamiflu. Let's take that for example. We've had that for years. Problem is, you have to use the medication early on in the treatment, within the first several days. Remember, that's what we need to do to treat until our body starts to kick in its own immune system. So that lag period, that interval. And our problem has been, in order to get the medication that you need for the flu, or you will need for COVID, like Plaxovid, You've got to contact your doctor. You've got to get a prescription, get the prescription filled. Okay, this process could take days. And you don't have days. You have to institute treatment sooner. So again, when I look at this smarter approach, I realize that there's a problem in the sense that we need to be able to expedite getting those prescriptions out sooner so that people can start taking the necessary treatment and avoid hospitalization. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back in the second half of our program with my guest, Dr. James O'Day, the Senior Vice President of the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford HealthCare. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC News Talk 1080. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. In the second half of today's program, it gives me great pleasure to welcome my guest, Dr. James O'Day. Dr. O'Day is the Senior Vice President of the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford HealthCare. He has been a frequent guest on our program in dealing with mental health issues, especially as they pertain to COVID-19. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Yep. Hi there, hi there, Tony. This is, uh, I think we're connected. And, we uh, are. It's a pleasure. To, yep, terrific. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, as always, to be on the show. So thank you for the invitation. So let's talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, we're going through a lot of things. Right now, people are trying to ease back into the normalcy of COVID. 
And there are a lot of different mental health issues when it comes to that, right? We have two extremes. We have folks who have been isolated throughout this time to some degree, not going to restaurants, not getting on planes, not going on vacation, right? Sure. And then you have the other extreme where they said this is all made up and um, I'm not going to stop doing anything. And most of us fall somewhere in between. Um, how... How do the people, especially those who have isolated from a mental health standpoint, get themselves to the point where they could start easing back into some level of normalcy? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think that's true. I think we're in a period of transition right now, which we can all be you know, feeling positive about. But we're not out of the woods, Tony. There's still quite a bit of work that still needs to be done. And while we are relaxing, you know, some of the standards and conditions that we've put in place to be safe in our communities, you know, we have to maintain a certain level of vigilance. I certainly understand how exhausted and the level of fatigue that people have in terms of the limitations that they've had in the life that they want to lead. But the reality is, is nearly a million people have died in this country due to this pandemic and many more across the world. And the, the single most effective thing that we can do to continue to move forward is vaccination. And and I know that people are tired of hearing about that. Anybody who wanted to be vaccinated at this point has long been vaccinated. But there's still a fairly significant population of people who so far have not chosen to be vaccinated. And that is going to continue to be a risk for us in this country to return back to normal life. And I think we need a new strategy to reach them. So, Jim, when we look at the so-called vaccine hesitancy, I put people into two groups. There are people who are vaccine hesitant and there are people who are vaccine defiant. Um, And uh, I understand that at least the hesitant people, there's some way to possibly reason with them. I have not had any luck. When you get to the defiant people where they see this is all made up, this is some electronic nanotechnology being implanted in me, I, I just, uh, as a healthcare provider, I have a hard time. I don't, I actually don't deal with them. I just say, yeah, yeah move on. And, and, and you know, and, and, I, and I probably suffer from some of that compassion fatigue because I'm just saying, all right, you know, there's, there's nothing I could do for you. Um, So can we talk about that, the hesitant and the defiant? Sure. Well, I think, first off, the population of people who have chosen so far to not be vaccinated is is itself a large enough population that distributes across a curve. And, and, And some of those people are, as you say, sort of in the, you know, a fringe element of it. But but most people have fairly complicated sometimes even rich experiences around what has led them to come to the conclusion that at this point, I still choose to not do that. And I think anybody who was going to be convinced by this simple epidemiological data and the data that's been published by the CDC and scores and scores of publications, you know, those people have already chosen. So I think what we have to do is take a look at what's the strategy that we need to look at And, you know, interestingly, I think this population of people are a little bit tired of having people wag their finger at them 
and essentially communicate a message that we think that you're just not very bright. I think there's a thing that happens where people feel condescended to, they feel like it's patronizing, and people don't genuinely engage with them to say, I'd like to really better understand what leads you to this conclusion. And, and if you approach people with a genuine sense of both empathy, curiosity, and interest in that point of view, I have to tell you, Tony, I've had some very rich conversations with people that have led me to say, I, I probably disagree with your position, but boy, some of the things that you're saying now at least make sense to me. And I think that's a process where we can then engage in not trying to change someone's mind, but, but listen to their reality in a way where they feel respected and they feel that their point of view is not ridiculed. Um, and I, you know, I think there are some people that are quite radical on one side of it, but actually more people have some pretty well thought out ideas. They really need to be respected. And if we have time, I'd love to give you a couple examples of those. Well, okay. So I've got some examples for you and, and, and you could lead me through this one. So sure. Um, these are patients. Last night I was doing physicals for MMA. So these yep. are professional fighters getting ready to go into the ring. And actually I had a patient this week again, fits into that young, healthy male um, uh, group, okay? Yep. yep. And in that cohort, um, in phenomenal shape, works out all the time. My patient was one of these CrossFit guys. These people are all in great shape. Yeah. So I took your approach and say, hey, listen, I see you're not vaccinated. Do me a favor. Just educate. Why aren't you vaccinated? And... In several of those instances, the response was, you know, not that I'm against it, Jason, but I just haven't gotten around to it. You know, I had COVID and, you know, I, I just haven't taken time to do it. It was almost like, you know, I, I don't you know, they just didn't think it was a priority now. Um, so how do you so it wasn't they, they were in the hesitant I don't even know if they were even hesitant. I, I think they were just in um, just in denial or, or something. So how yeah. do you approach that person who, you know, realizes I'm in great health, look at the way I work out. Yeah, I had a little bit of COVID, but why should I get vaccinated? Yeah. Well, first off, you did exactly the right thing, right? Before we even talk about what happens next, let me validate what you did is a genuine sense of interest. And you communicated that, and through that, you got an honest response, which provides an opportunity for you to then say, for that healthy person, you know, if they got the Omicron variant, is it likely that they're going to fall desperately ill? Probably not. But I think what we also know is an unvaccinated person who does become infected is a vector for the illness. And so what I would do in a situation like that is I can say, yeah, I can understand why maybe it wouldn't make sense to you. Tell me a little bit about your family. And then naturally what happens is somebody says, yeah, I spend Sunday afternoons with my grandmother and she's got diabetes and she's overweight. And then you're in a conversation to say, well, you don't need it for you. I can understand your position. But if you're still going to Sunday dinner with your grandmother, do you know you're putting her at risk? And, and that's the kind of conversation that I'm talking about that requires this genuine sense of interest in somebody's reality 
understanding their point of view, and then pointing out, well, here's a couple of things that you might want to consider. Let me give one other example. We did a lot of this, Tony, as you know, in our healthcare system. I've had scores and scores of conversations with people who were hesitant, and actually a fair number of people in minority populations. And I had some very interesting conversations with people Uh, black nurses in particular, who said things to me like, yeah, I just don't trust your science. And I said, wait a minute, what do you mean by my science? And she appropriately said that the vast majority of clinical research in this country has been performed, healthcare research, on Caucasian Americans. And so you have diseases like hypertension and Uh, diabetes disproportionately affecting African-American communities. And yet most of the research that we've done has been focused on Caucasian people. And and she said, uh, you know, so it leads me to not feel like the scientific community is sufficiently really concerned about me. And then further, she ended up raising questions about what is, you you know, and well-informed people know about the tragedy of the Tuskegee experiments that true started in 1930, those were experiments that uh, affected black Americans, poor black Americans in this country, all the way until 1970. And the agency that was responsible for that research toward the end of it was the Centers for Disease Control. So when people start to talk about those experiences and we at least listen to that, then you can appreciate why somebody might be a little bit, I'm not really sure that I trust his process. So I understand that to some degree, but by the same token, we have evolved to some degree. And if you look at all the white people getting the uh, vaccine and, and physicians getting the vaccine, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. If they're saying, hey, listen, we only need to give this to minorities. Yeah, I'd be suspect. Okay, but when you look at the professionals who are she is working next to all the time, um, those people are getting the same vaccine. But let me run. Let me run. Let me give it to to my next step. So with my patient, okay, who said, you know, I have nothing against it and I just haven't gotten around to it. My next step was, well, at the end of this visit, can I direct you to another department and get the vaccine? Yeah. And the guy said, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Unfortunately, okay, I ran into red tape. I mean, you know, at an institution where it's not available, whatever. So I had to tell him, listen, you got to go to a pharmacy and just get the darn thing done, you know. But, um, you know, I don't know if that's too pushy or not in terms of say, all right, listen, you know, Okay, if I could set this up for you, and I have done that before where it was available and they've gotten the vaccine. Is that too aggressive? Mm, I I think it's exactly the right strategy. You know, you did everything that I've endorsed here, which is you've approached the conversation with a genuine level of interest and curiosity. You didn't enter into it with a prejudgment that this guy is just dopey and he doesn't know any better. You were genuinely interested And in that conversation, he demonstrated a greater sense of openness. And that's what happens, Tony, when people feel that they are genuine, their point of view is not ridiculed and it's not judged, but it's generally understood, genuinely understood. 
then then people begin to say, well, maybe your perspective has value as well. And that's how change happens. So I think what you did is you created the space for him to say, yeah, that is something I would do. And yeah, in a perfect world, we would be able to say, well, I've got one right here. Can I put it in your your arm? And, you know, more people, I mean, we're at the stage right now, vaccination continues to be important, but we're not going to get more people choosing to get vaccinated simply by preaching the same message. We need to start tailoring the conversation to people who so far have chosen not to, and we really need a different approach. And I really commend you, you know, as such a thoughtful physician to engage with somebody to start with, help me understand how this makes sense to you. Jim, in your white paper, you talked about change theory. And one of the principles I always take from that is the the immediate response to change is all change is perceived as a loss in some way, shape, or form. When you propose a change to a group of people, whether they be staff members, whoever it is, the mm-hmm. first perception is, they're trying to take something away from me or make me do something I don't want to do. And yet you propose change theory. Can you talk a little bit about change theory and how it applies to really vaccine hesitancy? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Well, I, here's the thing. Humans are very predictable and understandable, and we understand actually how people change. And that can be you should join a gym, you should lose weight, you should stop drinking, you should get a vaccine. And, and what happens is when we approach people who are not quite aware of the fact that they have an issue like you're describing, When we as doctors prescribe an action-oriented step, go do something, to a person who doesn't really understand that they've got an issue, then we might as well be the adult in the Charlie Brown cartoon. You know, wah, 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 wah. If the person doesn't fully appreciate that there's an issue that requires attention, prescribing an action-oriented step, not only is it counterproductive, it actually makes matter worse. People have a tendency to entrench themselves in the position that they were in because they feel like they're being lectured to about a topic that is not genuinely concerning to them. So the better strategy for all of us as healthcare professionals is we have to educate people and be really curious about their position. And, and, and a step toward education is a far better strategy than prescribing an action to a person who isn't prepared to take an action step. And what I have found, not just clinically, having treated thousands of patients, but even in this vaccine work, when I've approached people with a genuine sense of curiosity and really helped me understand what's going on for you, people then become more open to, tell me a little bit about your point of view and maybe this is something I would consider. But, but humans are very predictable about change. We know how change happens. And for us as, as, as uh, providers, when we prescribe an action-oriented step to a person who's not ready for that, we just get annoyed at them and they get annoyed at us. And that's because we've made a misjudgment about where they are in the change process. Jim, I want to touch on another topic, and since we don't have much time, and sure. that's with children. 
Um, you know, we're hearing all this now about, you know, our children are going to be scarred for life if they have to wear a mask to school. Um, this is really going to affect our children in the future living through this pandemic. Yet, when I look at history, we have children. I think my father lived through the Great Depression um, and World War II. I mean, so we've had children live through really dramatic changes in society before and actually, I think, came out the better at the end of it, um, learning the meaning of a dollar and of income after living through um, the Great Depression. Uh, so what's your thoughts about this? Is, other than becoming sick with COVID, um, is there going to is there are we going to be dealing with a mental health barrage as a result of this in children? Yeah, I it's a complicated question and I guess what I would say about it is on the mental health side of the world I see that a little differently. First off, of the 10 people in this country who could benefit from behavioral health care, less than 4 of them get it now. So the good news for me is that there is an awakening of people who are saying, whether it was previous or because of COVID, if you've got psychiatric issues, behavioral health issues, that it's more people are more open to pursuing care and treatment, which I think is very positive. In terms of the longer term impact, I think, frankly, it's a function of how we as a society manage it. I don't think in and of itself it needs to be long term traumatic. I think we're all going to look back at some period of our lives and say, okay, so this was a a period of two years where the world was turned upside down. And, of course, in our organization, we focus very much on let's not get back to normal. We focus on how do we how do we learn from this and approach it in a way that makes us better as a society, that we become more inclusive, we provide health care in a different way to people. Um, So I actually think what we really need to be doing is saying not let's turn the page and get beyond this and and hope it never happens again. I think what we need to do is to say this was a really impactful thing across our society. How do we learn from it and how do we build different structures in place to make a healthcare more accessible, to recognize the vulnerability of different youth in these kind of settings? And, and how do we how do we learn from it that make us a better setting in the future? Jim, the, I, I'm going to end with those words. Um, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom um, on this topic and everything you do for our community over at Hartford Healthcare. Thanks again, Jim. Uh, Tony, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, that was my guest, Dr. James O'Day. Um, from Hartford Healthcare. Uh, next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to chat a little bit more about the new variant, the BA2 virus subvariant, as we get more information on that. We also are going to talk uh, about uh, some conversations um, that have been going on about the future and how we're going to deal with this in the future and maybe next year during flu season. Many thanks to our studio producer, Anthony DiRenzo, has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler, as always, is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. As always, also, if you have questions for me during the week, just uh, just send them on over to info at alessimd.com. Next up on WTIC's Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. 
This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.